following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Broadcasting from deep inside the forests of Arborea, welcome to Flash Gordon Minute. Presenting your hosts, survivors of the Wood Beast Trial, Brad and Eric. It is Minute 104 of Flash Gordon Minute. This is a big minute. Eric, how you doing? Uh, Brad. My stomach doesn't feel so good, man. I got these really sharp, stabbing pains. Please pass the Pepto. Yeah. Also, check to make sure you're not being stabbed, because uh, apparently that's going around. Huh, this is just... It's, it's just a, the minute where some comeuppance is happening, and uh, it is awesome, but not as awesome as our awesome guest that we've had all awesome week. Who's with us again, Eric? Well, with us is a gentleman who, who requested this week specifically for this specific first few seconds of this minute. When we do indeed see said comeuppance, we've got from Earth's Mixed Tape one last time, Mike Dunleavy. Hello. Uh, Mike, this is, it's been great having you with us. Um, as called out the first minute this week, this was almost your show. This was, well, uh, no. Uh, Eric, I think overstates uh, the fact that this was this was on this is this was always Eric's going to be Eric's show, and he just had to find the right co-host. And uh, it, thankfully for your viewer, for your viewers, for your listeners. Oh, I hope uh, nobody's watching. Oh boy! If you if you told me it turns out these hundred and four minutes people have been watching me doing this, oh. I certainly would have brushed my hair, but. Uh, <laughs> So glad to become part of this process, and uh, you know, doing Flesh Gordon Minute has been awesome, um, and working with Eric has been uh, just really great. So one of my favorite podcasting experiences is uh, getting the chance to, to meet and get to know Eric, who's a great guy, and um, I know our listeners, uh, some of you guys are really worried, it's like, what's going to happen when the show's over? It's like, well, first off, Flash Gordon will always be with us. Um but uh, Eric, uh, as this episode airs, we have just uh, had a handful of episodes that all had amazing interviews done by Eric for the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. Um, just some great uh, comic book creators like Peter David and uh, Jim Starlin and uh, musician, uh, other personalities like DMC from Run DMC and Dana Gold from uh, Stand versus Evil, Stand Against Evil. Our, our uh, friendship and uh, podcasting relationship will continue. So uh, yeah, it's 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 been a real joy. You're gonna move on to the sci-fi series? Oh no, no one's doing that. Oh no way. Yeah. <laughs> Defenders I, of the Earth. We have talked Defenders of the Earth. I- I, I have, I've never – Brad talks about it all the time. I've never even seen an episode of it. Well, that, that used to be on at lunchtime when I was a kid. That, that, was, a, that was a thing my brother and I watched. Yeah, I mean I, I know – I mean I was, it was on when I was a kid too. Uh, it just – it wasn't one of the cartoons uh, that I watched. I was a G.I. Joe Transformers guy. Uh, as was I, yeah, I. I enjoyed Defenders of the Earth because, you know, I like the idea of sidekicks. And I know that's not a very in vogue um, 
uh, trope in comic books anymore is really the the only one you have left anymore is Robin, and even half the time Robin is off on his own adventures. Um, you know, once upon, but they did the sidekick thing well because it was their kids, and the kids would be getting into adventures basically against their parents' wishes and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but no, we're not doing that. <laughs> but we are doing is minute one oh four. Eric, walk us through. We find out in in full view. We 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 had we 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 think we knew what happened at the end of yesterday's minute to Ming, and now we definitely know what happened to it. And whoa, man, yeah, the giant spike at the end of War Rocket HX is just shoved completely through him, and he he's while he does have an incredibly pained look on his face. Uh, I gotta say, for a guy that you know took it full throttle. I mean, this is a rocket ship that flew into him. This is not just you know pressed up against something other than the hole in his chest he really doesn't look too bad no he um we still got a lot of ming to go considering he has this you know a big needle through his torso he's he's not leaking very much no and he's not like you know like if they made this movie today he'd probably be like coughing up blood or something you know and there there is this gruesome slow pull off yeah the the, which is uh fairly disgusting but (laughs) There's no blood on the front of the spike. They went through clean. Oh, yes. Good catch. So I don't know if that's because how fast it went in or if it was hot and the wound just cauterized immediately. Or they felt that was just maybe a bit too gross to have green blood dripping off the tip of it. Yeah, because the green blood is there on the tip after he slides himself off of it. But you're right. When he's still on the spike, there's no blood in front of him. And... I think you guys talked about this on an episode a couple of weeks ago. Like he's Ming is wearing his sword right now. Um, and flash comes out of, eventually comes out of the rocket with a sword. And it was a big thing in the comics, the original comic strips that flash and Ming would have sword fights. Mm-hmm. And I think there, I think there's even a shot of it in the credits. Yes. Like when the credits are showing the Alex Raymond art, there's a shot of them. Do you think at one point they were meant to have a sword fight here? Uh, I, I, I would, I would think so. Yes, I haven't, I haven't seen anything either way. But because it was such a big deal from the comic strip, and because Flash has got the sword standing there with him, it does make you, you know, it, it seems like there probably was, and it makes you wonder why they didn't do it. Maybe one of them wasn't great at stage combat. <laughs> I won't say which one I'm thinking of. And it also could just be a thing of, first off, we've already had a lot of movie happen. Um, also, it might not be easy to have a great fight scene between Sam Jones and Max von Sydow. There's just a lot of weird dynamics at play where, you're right, Sam Jones, now he's done some great stuff with earlier in the movie with uh, the football scene and even the fight on uh, with Baron on the uh, you know fl- floating spiky death circle. He's a good physical actor. He moves really well. Uh, but you know, swordplay training takes a while uh, to make it look good. And also Max Monsanto being a little older, a little thin, but he's also taller than Sam Jones. And it just might be weird having those two duke it out. And it's also not the sort of bad guy Ming has been in this movie. He He's not a guy, he, he is not physically assaulted anybody. It's a lot of mind games and, uh, you know, a, a, a ring. And I, I think the, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And I think also the the idea that a sword fight at this point is just too much. 
like like the build up to this was so like the the raid on the rocket, the flying the ship in, stabs him through the heart with a rocket. My favorite part. Um, well, not maybe not his heart, uh, through his liver. Uh, <laughs> having a sword fight at this point is probably over egging the pudding, as the weird people British say. Um, yeah, and he stabbed him with a rocket. <laughs> It's just is is there a is there a better slaying of the enemy in a movie? No, this is. I don't know if there's. There might be some that are equal, but not many, and uh, nothing better. It's and there's just the right amount of him being scared and out of sorts. Um, so you can see that Ming sort of sees this coming, and watching this unflappable character. Um, befuddled is pretty awesome, and then he gets stabbed. It's what's crazy is it doesn't even look like it hurts that bad. He looks a little stunned, but he he's still and he's still malignant because uh, the ring is back. I mean, when he's when he's hanging off the spike, his his face is like the face I make if I stub my toe. You know? Yeah, he doesn't yell. No, he never, he does not. He never says owie 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 owie. <laughs> <laughs> What he does, uh, the, I'll tell you, well, a great sound he does make, and keeping uh, with Mike, what you said about the gross sliding off the spike, what an awesome sound effect as he slides off the slimy, because he's coming and, off the spike. And it, it sounds like, it sounds like, maybe maybe this is just what the Foley person did, but, but it sounds like silk being ripped. And it has that sort of, just very sort of, you know, ripping, tearing noise to it. Uh, uh, it's good stuff. Well, who knows what kind of internal organs Mongori have? I mean, for all we know, uh, he, his liver could be made out of silk and is ripping as he pulls off. <laughs> yeah, and you said we we don't really see the blood too much in this minute, so uh, we'll have conversations about blood and coloring of such because uh, <laughs> everyone's had some goofy. Uh, <laughs> whenever you see blood, it's it's usually pretty crazy. Uh, but but that's that's for a little later. Um, you, you know, it was just funny with the ring and him like making that last shot at Flash because, and I think this is a sort of a a mistake made. We haven't seen the ring since early, early in the movie, and you forget about it. Oh, well, I, yeah, so yeah. I have notes about the ring too. Go ahead, Mike. It's 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 the sex ring, right? Yes, it's the same. It's a ring. callback to the worst scene in the movie where he. Uses <laughs> you gotta think it's the same ring he's probably you know he was about to get married he's probably he probably grabbed the sex ring for wedding oh you have to so now he's using that on flash and you'll notice what flash flash pauses and says hmm your power is fading what's he implying there well so let's 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 get into the ring because right obviously the thing it most famously does is it's incredibly inappropriate use on dale um but he does use the ring lights up in the first minute of the movie when he's using the destructo panel on earth. So I don't know if he's using the ring to make some of those, uh, natural disasters happen on earth. And then he uses the ring when he attacks the plane at the beginning of the movie. Also, uh, when, when the two pilots get sucked out of the plane. So the ring appears to have multiple features. It's got different apps. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like if he was the Mandarin with the ten rings, but all ten rings are combined into one ring or something like that. So it 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 definitely has 
multiple purposes, but we don't know which one he's planning on using on Flash here because he never actually ends up doing anything to Flash with the ring. He just points it at him. Is it flashing with the same color that it was flashing when he was using it on Dale? I I, I think it's been red every time he's used it. Am I, uh, okay. I, I, think, I think so. All right. I will, I will give up on my theory that he's trying to seduce Flash here as a way to get out of it. <laughs> Uh, I won't pursue this any further in the interest of your <laughs> podcast being uh, palatable for people. They just didn't do enough to establish really the specifics of the ring. It, it just comes across as a sex ring, and they could have done more over the course of the movie to – all they needed was some guard or even Baron coming after Ming and Ming using the ring to stop him. It's like, oh, you, you, you know that – that, that no one can resist or, or this can controls and you know the, the mind control the mind control ring or the the yeah and, and even earlier in the movie when uh someone actually attacks ming and instead of him using the ring to stop the attack it, it's the flying death orb and they could have just as easily had ming stop him with the ring and the death orb then Killing the guy. And, and how about just not having the scene where he uses it as a sex ring? Yeah, the, the, yeah. <laughs> that would have been great, too. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's not good. So I have a, I have a controversial question. Uh, this is a film that ends triumphantly with the hero uh, flying an airship into a tower. H- how do we feel about this? Uh, I have never considered that parallel until uh, right now. You can edit this out if you want. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. And we've talked a lot about how just historical context with this movie and trying to watch this movie in the mindset of, okay, this is, this is from 7980, uh, the weird sexual politics and, um, really the weird sexual politics. Uh, but you're right. You realize that in a, the world we live in now, eh, you know, Anything that flies shouldn't go into any sort of building. Yeah. Now, it's, it doesn't recall it too badly because the building doesn't – the building is still standing. I mean, heck, only one person gets hurt. Uh, Flash is really lucky. Basically, the only person – or the main person to get hurt is the person he was trying to, to hurt. As opposed to, say, the DC Universe films where um, – you know, you have Man of Steel where he's just going through building, going through building, all the wanton destruction. And that was actually, I think, a little more triggering because you actually see the buildings crumble. They, they intentionally used a lot of the same imagery from, from, the, real, from the real world in that. Uh, okay, so, so let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me uh, lighten it up, lighten up this, this <laughs> point again. How about the fact that uh, Flash clearly wasn't wearing a seatbelt when he decided to do this? <laughs> At the very beginning of this minute, you see Flash gently tumble into some debris. Do you really think that Ming cares about outfitting the proper safety gear on his on his uh, vehicles for his crew? He couldn't care less. Just get on that ship and fly it and go kill people. OHS for villains in these movies is is just appalling. Like you you watch a Star Wars movie and the, like the Death Star has no safety rails ag- across <laughs> its cabins. Yeah, Star Wars it's, minute guys are always bringing that up. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's no there's no thought to general safety. Uh, frankly, yeah, F- Flash got a, got away with something with just his little gentle tumble. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's lucky he didn't go flying headfirst out the window. And how great would that have been if he like launched through the window and just grabbed onto Ming's head? Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> I would have loved that. But also, why did Ming not? Why did he not just take like two steps to the right? I, I mean, I like, why did he stand there and just turn around and or try to use the ring to stop it? I mean, the spike. It's, there's no reason the spike should have gone through Ming. It's the arrogance. It's it's he's never been attacked. Ah. He's never he's never been hurt. He's never been attacked. Therefore, he can't be attacked, and nothing can hurt him. Uh, like, like what running away he did, he ran in the direction of the rocket. Like yeah. he he didn't he wasn't smart like Dale and just take a ninety degree turn. That's probably the first time in his life he's ever actually run away in fear from something. It, it might be the first time he ran. He could just be tired now. <laughs> he may not have the cardio necessary. <laughs> well, and he wears really heavy outfits. Exactly. Yeah. This is definitely not his uh, heaviest one, but he could just, his life could be tired. It's like, this has been a full day. And what are the chances the rocket would hit him dead center? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, and it's, that's actually a, a little bit of pet peeve of mine. It's not nearly as bad with this movie, because this is a ridiculous movie. Uh, but the whole thing where, well, or even like Deadpool, where uh, at the end of the first Deadpool film, where he puts uh, uh, Vanessa in the... The, the, the container and yanks her off it and off of this ship that's falling over and she's able to that somehow that keeps her from dying. It's like that that shouldn't work. Um, the Fast and Furious movies are notorious for having that sort of thing where the Rock drives uh, an ambulance off of a bridge that happens to land on the pursuing helicopter at, at the exact right second. It's like how do you time that? And you don't, but you know, that's you, you, you don't. And if, if the film is successful, you're not thinking about that in the moment, right? Like, like uh, you, th- this is, I think the secret of, uh, JJ Abrams success. Uh, none of his films make sense if you, when you rewatch them, but while you're watching them, especially that first time, he is constantly like wowing you with moments so that you you're not really thinking of it like like it's it's okay if the logic doesn't work as long as something awesome is happening like like the 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 story can withstand a logical hit if the reason for doing that gives you something amazing and enjoyable right yeah yeah it's it's i guess it's suspension of disbelief uh is, is the quicker way of saying it um but you you have to have the skills as a filmmaker to know when you're accomplishing that. So so yeah, it's ridiculous when uh, The Rock flexes his arm so hard that his uh, cast pops off his arm. But holy cow, when you're watching that, it's like yes, that is amazing. I I, I didn't know I wanted to see that, but now I do. Well, and it also helps. It's fine for movies to be ridiculous as long as they're consistent inside their own world. Absolutely. So. You know, Flash is Flash Gordon is ridiculous, but it's consistently ridiculous, and and it, you know, and it nothing lets you know happens. it from the beginning. Like it opens with a shot of a console that says "Hot Hail." Yeah, right. The tone was there from the beginning. Exactly. No, it's it's this movie is perfectly what it's supposed to be, and you know, nothing about this minute feels out of context with the other minutes. Really, the only minute in this minutes in this movie that did feel sort of out of context, we talked about it before this week, was Dale all of a sudden being a butt kicker when she's not a butt kicker throughout any other point. But again, that scene is so fun. He's like, ow, 
you know, I, I'd rather that they be inconsistent. You have this great scene than them being slaves to, you know, reality where it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, if, if you tried to write this film such that you're explaining all of these things, you have a very boring movie, right? I, I think, you know, William Goldman, the guy who wrote Princess Bride and all the president's men, you know, wrote, wrote this thing in a book about how, you know, people make fun of the fact that, you know, the, there's always a cab available for the hero. Like there's always a parking space available for the hero. Like, like, but now his point is try to imagine that film where there's not a parking space. Right. Imagine spending two minutes while the guy drives around looking for a place to leave his car. It's, 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 you know, dramatic shorthand to, cause you got to get to the next scene. You, you got to keep a narrative, uh, flow uh, an impetus going. Um, and when you stop to explain these petty things that, you know, 90% of your audience doesn't care about, you're going to lose, you're going to lose them. I think that's, what's so great about the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark when, um, Indiana knocks the, the, the soldier out and he goes to put on his shirt so that he can blend in and the shirt doesn't fit. It takes that trope of, you know, how in movies the good guy always finds clothes that are a perfect fit when he has to go undercover from the person he knocks out. Uh, and, you know, you don't need to have it explained of like, you know, he had to take out, you know, 17 different people till he found a shirt that fit him, you know, <laughs> and, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark takes that trope, totally blows it up and makes a great com- comedic moment out of it. Yeah, well, it, it would always be the ridiculous thing of, uh, the three main characters are a tall guy, a, a short, fat guy, and a woman. And, of course, the three soldiers that come upon them happen to be <laughs> a tall guy and a short, fat And you get why that happens. You're right. You, you don't. It works great in that scene from Indy because it's very quick and it plays a joke with it. Um, I, it's funny. Yesterday I mentioned Degrassi Jr. High. <laughs> <laughs> Much to my shock. <laughs> And uh, actually, my wife and I are we're fans of that show. Way later in life than we should have been. We were in our 30s still watching Degrassi. I don't know what's wrong with us. But there was one scene where, like, four main characters from the show form a band. Now, it's completely ridiculous. It's like, what are the odds that four people that have been friends for two seasons... What's, oh, it turns out, well, it turns out Bob plays bass, uh, Tammy plays drums, and I sing, and Freddie plays guitar. Like, and Heather's like, well, that doesn't really make sense. It's like, yeah, but do you really want them to find, if you got individual cast members or bring other people in, then you have a cast of 30,000 people, and there's no interconnection. So, it in the world of the show, it makes sense, and you have to sort of, it's not documentary filmmaking, and Flash Gordon certainly is not documentary filmmaking. It's uh, it's its own wacky world, and you know you you don't really need another twenty minutes of Flash going through this uh, castle looking for Ming. They have to finish this off, and they yeah. you know yeah, it's time for him to have a good stabbing. Yeah, like they could spend you know five minutes showing the part where Flash and Dale get their universal translator uh, inserted <laughs> into them, but who cares? All, all that matters is that everyone's going to talk and they're all going to understand each other, right? Yes. So, so why, why spend precious time in your story 
talking about a universal translator. Because I, I, I really believe if the audience, if that question crosses the audience's mind when, the, like, during the first time they're watching it, you've made a bad film. Yes. Right. Uh, Eric, what was it? We, we, you mentioned before the uh, episode of The Simpsons where they dealt with that uh, Halloween horror. It's like, it turns out your language is exactly like ours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, well, I did just want to point out that you mentioned that uh, Ming's the only one that got hurt when Flash crashed in the plane. But I do want to note in the background, very conveniently, uh, there, act- there are a lot of dead bodies on the ground. And very conveniently, it's all soldiers. No civilians were hurt <laughs> in the crashing of this plane. He really steered that uh, vehicle well. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he is the hero of our time. <laughs> He's the best. Uh, I just I want to get this in because uh, the show's almost over and you know I'm starting to run out of time when I can mention certain comments that I've never had a chance to work in. So since uh, Ming next week is is about to meet his demise, uh, sorry spoilers for anyone who actually uh, doesn't know what's about to happen. Uh, I want to make note that uh, the TV show Star Trek Voyager had a character that was a homage to Ming. Um, Tom Paris, the character Tom Paris, would go into the holodeck. And he would portray uh, a character named Captain Proton and get involved in holographic adventures there. And the arch nemesis, his name was Dr. Chaotica. And he looked exactly like Ming. He's clearly meant to be Ming. He even refers to himself as one point as ruler of the cosmos. Uh, And that character appeared in three different episodes of Voyager. Uh, Knight, Bride of Chaotica, and Shattered. So if you are a huge Ming fan and want to see some pop culture... uh, Reference and homage to him, check out those three episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, do it that way because you are not going to see this Ming ever again in a, in a movie. It's, uh, they're, they're definitely going to be doing a lot of uh, re-tinkering uh, if and when Flash ever comes back because, uh, wow, this is uh, we haven't brought it up for a little while, but this is really un-PC and uh, no, no studio is going to try to, to make this happen again. All right, very good. Well, um, hey, Mike, it's been fantastic having you this week. Uh, any anything else that you wanted to call out, either from these minutes or uh, any other part of the movie? Uh, no, that, that's that's all of my notes taken care of. And and thank you very much for having me on this week and for letting me pick uh, the my, the the minutes so I had a chance to talk about uh, my favorite part from my favorite movie. Well, I, I you know thank you. I know you you downplayed your role earlier uh, in in this minute, but I, I you know thank you. Uh, for spurring this because the facts are everyone that uh, Mike posted uh, that he needed a new co-host as the person he was going to co-host Flash Gordon with me and I dropped out. I volunteered uh, and then uh, so when Mike dropped out I felt like you know what I don't want someone else to do this. I've got the bug. I, I'll, I'll, I'll still do it and I'll go find somebody else and that someone else uh, fortunately was Brad. Uh, but if Mike is not on there asking for a co-host i might not have ever been spurred uh, to do this so i i want to give mike some credit uh there for uh, lighting the spark that got me to do flesh court a minute well i'm glad i could help in any way to make this happen because this is a this is a good podcast and you guys are fun to listen to well we've been having a great time um now we you've talked uh, before that your podcast uh, that you did earth's mixtape uh about the uh records that, that were in the uh, the Voyager probes in 1977. Uh, you can go to uh, www.earthsmixtape.com, uh, which is just a great idea for a podcast and really a uh, very cool and very innovative idea. So I uh, recommend everyone check that out. Thanks. 
Uh, Mike, what, what's next? Do you have your next project in mind? I kind of have an idea. Uh, like, honestly, like Earth's Mixtape was done as a work project. So my, my, my day job is uh, I'm a physicist working at St. Mary's University. Uh, so we, we did this as kind of a science outreach project. Uh, the next, if I do another podcast, it will probably be uh, on my own, not as part of uh, the university. And I got some ideas, and it's a question of finding hosts and, more importantly, finding time. Yeah, the time's a tough one. Yeah, the, the time, time is a, the, the time tough. is a tough. Please keep in touch with us. Uh, we would love to uh, help promote or talk about any other projects you have upcoming because uh, it, it's been a joy having you with us. And uh, Earth's mixtape is such a great idea, and I'm sure anything else that you come up with would uh, uh, be equally entertaining. Well, thanks very much, and and g- congratulations to you guys for d- just about getting this wrapped up. And uh, yeah, good luck on your next project. I'm excited to find out what it is. It looks like we're actually going to do this, Eric. We're deep enough in. I think this is going to happen. I think <laughs> we can uh, struggle across the finish line. I, I, I hear an I hear an announcement coming for your next project, though. You're right. ready to make it through the next seven minutes. You mean, Brad? Is that what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no announcements yet. I mean, we're going to continue Cosmic Geppetto. Um, you know, that ain't going anywhere. And uh, whatever Eric decides to do, um, I, he will always have my uh, utmost support. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep 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 out. Keep, oh. keep uh, <laughs> Eric has taken a break when we finish Flesh <laughs> it fe- let, let me tell you, it feels good to finish a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it feels real good. And mine was only like 20 episodes. <laughs> Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Find out more uh, on Facebook, where, by the way, everyone, when the show ends, uh, we'll still be on there. You can still chat about Flash with us, even though the show might be ending soon. Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Uh, Twitter, same thing. Flash Gordon Pod will we'll still be there. And email, I, I will never retire, the Flash Gordon Minute at gmail.com email address. All right, very cool. We asked for your ratings, reviews, and iTunes. Uh, we also got to give a shout-out to our friends over at uh, Star Wars Minute. Uh, those guys, that's the granddaddy of them all. Uh, none of this would have happened without them, and we are appreciative of them allowing us to just rip them off mercilessly. Oh, as mercilessly you, as Ming. Yes, as mercilessly as me. Um, and uh, Eric, I also got to thank you because uh, this is this is your uh, brainchild, and uh, you took um, this idea that uh, Mike had, and you ran with it. And uh, it's been just a ton of fun of me being part of this. Well, I I, I thank you, and of course I thank Mike as well once again. All right, so uh, yeah, it's been a great week, Eric. Uh, it's been so much fun, but uh, you know, it's uh, there's just there's just other stuff going on, and talking with Mike about that great podcast he has, uh, now I have a concern. Now you have a concern. You've had one for the last 104 minutes. Well, you know, now that we're so close to the end, and, I, you know, there's, there's always going to be more space exploration, and I'm just thinking, you know, we have some wonderful fans. What if one of our fans takes all the episodes of Flash Gordon Minute and puts them into some sort of space-faring adventure, uh, and aliens come across our show. Oh Lord! If uh, if if aliens are exposed to Earth solely, their first exposure to Earth solely is based on our podcast. Uh, we, we we all will need help, not just you. The whole world will be in peril then, because say, who are these two weird? geeks talking about some fictional story what what planet is trying to contact us this is insanity so 
we we all should be worried. But if we are worried, the good news is that the very show that they've been sent about features Flash Gordon. And of course, Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, follow us on Twitter on Flash Gordon Pod. Join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for the next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Jessa, we escaped Ming's palace. Why are you still wearing that chainmail and silk bikini dress and jewel-encrusted tiara? Because, Murrin, I look really hot in this outfit.